Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. As I said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. You know, in my closet, there is an unnecessarily abundant amount of shoes. I mean... It's ridiculous the amount of shoes that are in my closet. And I was going through it a while back, and I came across a pair of designer boots that had been sitting in the box in the back of the closet for over six years, never worn, never, ever, ever worn. And I remember at the time I just had to have them. They set my pocket back about $1,000. You know, and I'm embarrassed to say that now, but, you know, that was a nice piece of change. But there they were just sitting unused in my closet. Many of us have these things in our life, you know, items that we spend money on that satisfy our emotional wants, but not our reality needs. On today's show, we're going to learn how to balance it all out. My guest today is Robert Wheeler, a certified public accountant and so much more. His crusade for holistic personal growth has cross-pollinated with his accounting practice to deliver a new approach to personal finances. Bob explores the emotions surrounding financial decisions in his recent book, The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money. His passion is to help others gain insight on why their emotions trigger financial decisions. My shoe closet and myself really, really need Robert today. So I'm delighted to have him on the show and extend a great big welcome. Robert, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Well, thank you, Lana. It's great to be here today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, thank you. So you are with me on the uh, left coast, right? I am. I'm in sunny Santa Monica, California. <laughs> Suffering through this heat heat blaze, right? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's a little too warm. I mean, I'm going to have to call the government. It's I terrible. Know, right? <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, this is September, fall supposed to be setting in. You know, I'm like, okay, where where is some relief here? But uh, I guess we got something else planned for us there. I was I was reading the forecast with 100 and something degrees. Well, you're you're close to the beach, so you might get a little relief. But we, we get the breeze, so it's not so bad. The palm trees and the breeze sort of makes up for it. Still, still, <laughs> still wouldn't give up LA for nothing, though. Still I would not. I okay. would not. And you're, you're originally from L.A., right? I actually – I grew up in Tennessee. Oh, actually, a little south, down this, south. That's right. I'm used to the humidity and the heat. <laughs> okay, okay. Southern guy, southern guy. So how long have you been out uh, this way? I've been out here for about, um, I guess – oh, my gosh, I hate to say almost 30 years. I came out after college, and okay. uh, I didn't plan on staying, but, geez, the weather was really good, and, you know, I, I just kept staying. <laughs> So you're a California native at this time, so cool, cool. So we're going to get right into this. We're going to talk about this thing you've got called the money nerve. So when I say that, I'm imagining, you know, like the nerve in my tooth when I eat something cold or that last nerve that people often work on a day-to-day basis. So explain to me exactly what this thing is, this concept is, the money nerve. So the money nerve is, for me, that physical place in our body mm-hmm. when something financial happens that's uncomfortable or even comfortable where we have that uh the that pit in our stomach or the our heart palpitates people have heart attacks people cry so we hold a lot of emotions in our body we hold them so that nobody sees them and that money nerve is what gets triggered when pleasant or unpleasant things happen around money and we we have that deep deep feeling deep inside of us that it's you know something not it's not something you can just say, oh, there it is, but you feel it. You feel it. Okay. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to assume that for some people, like, it's a money thing, but other people have other triggers that they react to. So it might be, you know, I, I'm a little stressed, and I'm going to use, um, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, chocolate chip cookies or something. But for some people, it's money that is right. the go-to solution. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So, um what what types of things you, you mentioned some of them so just give some because I think people might be walking around in this world not really understanding that oh that's what it is that's what I'm doing what kind of situations do people find themselves in um, or give them some examples of emotional situations where uh, they might find themselves pulling out their wallet when they don't need to be yeah absolutely so there's so many different situations I mean on a day to day basis we're making mm-hmm. financial decisions every moment are we going to mm-hmm. buy lunch at the drive through are we going to pay for that uh, new app are we going mm-hmm. to 
download a song? Uh, are we going to you know, buy some new clothes? Are we going to go to the movies? Mm-hmm. Are we going to rent a DVD? So it, it, what happens is when we pull out that credit card and we say, oh, great, I'm going to go buy this. And then the clerk says, oh, I'm sorry, your credit card's just been declined. Mm. Oh, my gosh, shame, embarrassment. Mm-hmm. I want to run and hide. Maybe I'm angry and I'm going to scream at the clerk. So mm-hmm. it, it, it could be that. It could be going into the bank, applying for a loan and having them looking at all your all your finances and your personal information. You know, Applying for a house is really emotional because you're having to expose all the parts of you that you've tried to keep hidden. True, true. And so some people, you know, they don't – they have more month than they have bank account. And <laughs> so – right? And all of a sudden we get to the first of the month and we've got to pay the rent and mm. – the landlord's knocking on our door, and we're just thinking, this is so overwhelming. I don't even know what I was thinking. I shouldn't have gotten this place. I could have gotten a smaller place. Why did I over, you know, why did I over budget or why did I overspend? So there's all kinds of things. People get depressed. People have guilt because they have too much money. People have guilt because they don't have enough money. Insecurity, frustration. A lot of people get angry around money. Why do they all have money and I don't? I work harder mm-hmm. than they do. It's not fair. So entitlement and jealousy possibly, envy, and all of these things come into play so that when I'm walking into a store and they say, hey, you want to get the newest TV or the fastest car? Well, I sure do because I want to be better than my friend Billy who always drives the newest car or now I'm going to upshine that friend of mine that at work that always acts like they have it all together, I'm going to show them I'm better. So mm-hmm. we get caught in our ego and start trying to figure out how we can either be better or we tend to hide so people don't find out the truth about us. Right? If they only knew the truth about me, people would not like me. People would mm-hmm. judge me. And, mm-hmm. and so we go through all these emotions and it starts at an early age. Okay. You know, um, you mentioned a couple of things here, You know, and I've always been – puzzled by you know certain people that i encounter because i guess it's, it, it might be the same similar cycle of maybe like an alcoholic or a drug addict but you know i see certain people and they've overspent their monthly budget so they find themselves and you know i'm trying to you know rob peter to pay paul i'm trying to put this together so in my mind i'm like okay that was a very uncomfortable situation that you were in you didn't like that feeling so i'm, I'm expecting you to correct it and not do it again next month but i'll come along and visit with this person and they're right back in the same situation if not worse and i'm like well you didn't need to get that you didn't need to get that why did you do that when you just were feeling this way last month um do you have any clue as to why we keep on repeating the same thing over absolutely and over? <laughs> well here's here's the thing all of us at a certain point have decided we've got this story. So it might be that I can never have enough and I'm always going to have to struggle and I'm always going to have feast or famine. Whatever my story is, that's basically my unconscious GPS that I've programmed. Mm-hmm. So I have this story in my head that unconsciously keeps replaying. So even when things are different or I have more money – I immediately get back to my comfort zone and I get back to my story. And so until I start to get conscious of these choices that I'm making and until I decide whether or not these stories are still serving me, I'm going to keep playing out the same story. Now, it might be I play out the story because that's what my parents said and now I'm just unconsciously trying to reaffirm what they told me because I love them and I don't want them to be wrong or it might be that I just have this belief system that I can never overcome it even though everybody else is capable. So we just have these unconscious stories that we've decided about our finances and until we can actually start to be conscious of the choices we're making, we can't really decide to do something different. Okay, conscious of the choice. So you mentioned a couple of times here, you know, like – you know, some of the, the baggage that maybe our parents have dumped on us or some of the experiences that we've had as, as a child contribute to how we as adults find ourselves uh, doing our budget and spending our finances. I, I think that's kind of a unique uh, connection there. How is it that your experiences as a child play into how, you know, me, the 46-year-old, spends my money on those boots that are sitting in my closet? <laughs> Absolutely. So there's a couple ways. So if you're a kid – And every time 
dad comes home and mom says, oh, I went to the store and I went and I bought a whole bunch of new clothes and dad starts screaming and throwing things, then that kid says, oh, my gosh, talking about money is bad. Okay. Maybe that's the message they grab instead of saying, oh, mom likes to spend money at the store and dad doesn't like it. So they may grow up saying every time we talk about money with anybody, there's going to be a conflict. And then we just look for affirmations that that's the truth. Uh, somebody else might grow up with being very comfortable with screaming at the other person about money. And to them, it's not a conflict, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it, we all have different experiences or we all take in the experience differently. One of the examples that I like to give is two people riding down the road in a convertible. One person could be saying to themselves, oh, my gosh, I'm having the time of my life. And the other person could be thinking to themselves, I'm going to die at any moment. This is a death <laughs> trap, right? And they're both in a car, in a convertible, going down the road, and one's having the best time of their life, and the other one's terrified. And that's really what happens with us. We get these little stories, and we get hooked in, or maybe we were a child, and we lost the milk money, or somebody beat us up and took our lunch money. There's so many different things that could happen, and as we go through life, we start reaffirming and looking for, see, there it is again, there it is mm-hmm. again. And then we just reaffirm that story. Okay. Now, I'm wondering, do some of us, you know, we grow up in households where, you know, parents have this style of uh, parenting where grown folks' business is grown folks' business. So a lot of us grow up in households where money is not really talked about to um, the kids. So we're thrown and thrust out into this world, you know, and say, okay, here, handle it and we're not really equipped sometimes to handle what is a credit card, you know, or how to, um, you know, balance your checkbook or whatever, because these were, you know, you just don't talk about these topics. Your parents didn't discuss these. So um, d- does that have any uh, bearing Absolute. on? Go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> this is the, this, you, I mean, you're so right on it. What happens is parents don't want to tell their kids, look, we don't have any money or we're on a budget because they're going to run off and tell their friends and then their friends' parents are going to know what's going on. So we don't share that information. And what happens is I hear this all the time with adults when I do workshops and when I do talks. People will say, I never got the download. Everybody Mm -hmm. else got the download, but I didn't get it. But the truth is most of us didn't get the download. We're all working blind. Some people are just better at faking it. And so the, the biggest thing that happens when I work with people in the workshops is at the end, everybody says, oh, my gosh, I thought I was the only person that didn't know how to deal with their money. I feel so much better knowing that there's other people out there like me. I'm not the only one screwing it up. <laughs> right. Right. And we're so good about creating stories in our head. So we just go, man, I'm so dumb. I never figured it out. Everybody else got it. Where did they go? Right. And and it's not true. Most of us didn't get the download. And most of our parents, instead of saying, no, you can't have that toy because we have to pay the mortgage, they'll say, if you ask for that one more time, I'm going to spank you. Yes, yes, yes. You know, it's a whole different message that's sent out, you know, um, you know, the correlation with money. And like I said, you know, kids are not uh, perceptive of the big picture, but right. I think they have a, a, a sort of an unconscious consciousness grasp of that and can appreciate that. You know, hopefully, I mean, parenting, you don't get a handbook, you know, nobody tells you to. So a lot of us are just kind of winging it. But I think that's one valuable lesson that parents can really take away is, you know, share some of it with your kids because, the, the down the line effect, you know, when they become adults, you know, might be uh, very devastating to their pocketbook and they might come uh, experience some road bumps that they don't have to if you communicated about money um, as uncomfortable as it might be with them while they were growing up. You know, I'm looking at the time now. We're going to take a quick commercial break and I'm going to be right back. We'll talk about uh, how people can start taking control of their finances. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I am with the author of the book, The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money, Mr. Robert Wheeler. And before the break, we were uh, talking about uh, how generations and generations just keep on passing on um, the emotions of money. But I want to uh, ask 
you know, by the person, by the time the person comes to you, you know, they walk into the office and they're like, you know, Robert, I'm $10,000 in debt. My house is about to go into foreclosure. You know, I don't even know if I have the money to pay the light bill, much less put gas in my car. You know, how do you approach this person and say, uh, okay, this is how we're going to try to fix this? How do you, how do you, how do you crawl out of that hole? So the best way to crawl out of a hole is, one step at a time. And I, I tell you, so many people, and especially in this day and age, everybody, the media tells you you can have everything now. And, mm-hmm. and I always say people want to go from A to Z, and we just need to learn how to go from A to B. Okay. And because it, it, it didn't take you five minutes to get into debt. It's not going to take you five minutes to get out of it. So you have to be willing to be uncomfortable for, uncomfortable for a little bit and you have to have that intention that you're willing to make a change. So the first thing I do when I sit down with a client who says, Bob, you got to help me out, I say, are you willing to do what it takes? Are you making a commitment right now that you're going to sit in the uncomfortableness and that you're going to commit to us working this all the way through? If they tell me, well, let me think about it or I'm not sure, I don't waste any more time with them. Because if they're not consciously at least willing to say, I'm committed to being uncomfortable and I'm committed to doing it different, it's not going to make a change. And and the whole reason I actually even wrote the book was because I would work with clients, give them logical solutions, and they would turn around and do something completely illogical. (laughs) And it drove me crazy. And I realized until I could understand what their emotional underpinning was, until I could figure out what was driving them, there was no point in going into the logic and the practical. So for me, it's I've got to get people to commit to I'm willing to look at this. I'm willing to be uncomfortable, and I have an intention to make different steps to have the life that I want. And, and once I have that, then we take a look at what's my debt, what are my assets, and what are the different options. And for everybody, it's different. Uh, I had a client one time who came to me, had all this debt, credit card debt. I realized we could get him a line of credit on his um, on his house. And so I said, I'm going to help you do this. We can pay off all these debts. You'll now have this credit line that we can actually take a tax deduction for, and you'll be back on track. I saw him almost a year later. He had paid off all his credit cards, and then he had re-upped all of his credit card balances because oh, he had lots of emergencies. You know, He had to go visit his mom, and then he needed uh-huh. a TV. And so what he did was he doubled his debt. And oh, I told wow. him, I told him if I had known you were going to do that, I would have never given you this solution. <laughs> you made it worse now. You made it worse because he actually didn't follow through with what he said he was going to do. And so I always have to be careful with people because I know that we have this ability to self-sabotage and not stay on point. And so I really try to make sure that when I give people options and, and steps to take, I make sure that it's not going to put them in the wrong path because it's easy to start to get overwhelmed and say, oh, I can't do it or uh, this is too scary. I I can't stay on it. Or actually, I'm starting to get too successful. I think I need to sabotage because I don't want to be too (laughs) successful. (laughs) Okay. So let's say you got, uh, you know, Lana walks into your office and I say, okay, you know, I'm committed. I'm going to do this. You give me this. I'm step by step. I'm going to follow it and I'm I'm going with the flow. And then you say, well, Lana, um, you can't buy that pair of shoes. And and that's where I, I'm looking at you like, maybe this is not going to work. Is is there a compromise? Is there a – Yes. A, you know, like – I mean because I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't just, you know, not have any luxuries for the rest of my life. I have to have something, right? Absolutely. You absolutely do. And what I say to you when you come in and say, look, I, I have to have my – spending compulsion and and I need to do these other things. Uh-huh. I encourage people to set up a uh, a, a a bank account uh, that's just for no accountability. Oh, like okay. that is my money. I can blow it. I can use my ATM. I can drain it, but when it's empty, it's empty. Okay. Good idea. Okay. And then my other bank account has to pay my rent or my mortgage, my insurance my groceries, all the things that I need, and then I have a bank account or a savings account that's my emergency fund so that I'm putting away six months' worth of monthly expenses so that if something happens, I've got that money set aside. But I do have my account that is just for me to do whatever I want. I can go get a massage. I can Mm -hmm. 
charge and buy some new shoes. I don't know if I'd spend a thousand dollars on a pair of shoes. But, they were Giuseppe's. They were Giuseppe's. Come on now, give uh, me a break. Uh, <laughs> if, if clothes are over fifty bucks, I get nervous. <laughs> I just had to have them. Yeah, I saw them in a magazine, and I'm looking at them. I'm shopping around. I got to get them, and here it is, six leaves. There, there's. I kid you not. They are just sitting in the box. Uh, Lot of ridiculous. <laughs> no, I've done the same thing. I have to have that flat screen TV for my guest bedroom, and I've never turned it on. I've had it for three years. <laughs> well, it looks look really so cool. Bad. It looks good, though, right? It looks good. <laughs> it looks good. Never used it. But that's the thing. You have to allow yourself. It's just like a diet where you give yourself a cheat day. Good. You've got to give yourself a little bit of room to have some fun. Um, you know, a budget's important, and it gives you a lot of options, and it can be really empowering, but people look at it as, it, a budget as scarcity, saying you can't have it. And I think it's it's important to have that balance of, yeah, I want to be able to be impulsive and go out and spend some money within my means and then still make sure I'm taking care of my monthly stuff uh, and, and all of that so that I don't find myself in a panic. Okay, okay. Now, is that old adage still true that you should pay yourself like 10% off the top before, you know, or, I mean, how do you... How do you put your play money away? What is the? Yeah, I, I and that's what I do. And I actually, I say ten percent when I do the ten percent. It's ten percent of the net check. Okay. Ten percent of the gross. Oh darn. I, <laughs> <laughs> I like to round down on my income and round up on my expenses, and I tend not to be short when I get to the end of the month. Because okay. most people round up on their income and down on their expenses, and then they don't understand. Why they're short? Oh, because I spend fifty dollars a week on lottery tickets, but I don't count it because it was money from the ATM, right? Mm-hmm. So we find ways to justify. But yeah, you absolutely want to take that ten percent of your net paycheck and put that into your your fun money, and that you can do whatever you can do whatever you want. But the rest of the money goes into those other two accounts: the emergency fund and your operating account, and you don't get to pull money out of that. Okay. To just go out and buy a thousand dollars. Worth of shoes. You have to. <laughs> Darn it! Where are you on my shoes? I tell you. I need my shoes. You do. I tell you. Uh. So we have three accounts here. We have the uh, play money, we have the operational, and we have the emergency thing. So right. the takeaway. I want to make sure that we do have that takeaway today because I think people are just operating and existing off of one bank account, and that can, you know, create some dynamics there. So we need to establish, you know, three accounts. Uh, there, play money, operational, and emergency account. Now, with the play money, um, I'm assuming that this is the the epitome of your emotional spending. Mm-hmm. So, when somebody comes into your office and say, "Look, I'm trying to get my life together, my finances together here," and you're going to say to them, "One of the things that we need to do is to um, identify." What is the emotional uh, part that's making you spend money that has put you into this situation? How do you arrive at that destination to help people find out what is their emotional triggers? So what we do is I do a lot of processing with people, and what that means is I sit down with somebody and I ask them to – either close their eyes and think back to some childhood experiences. I ask them to journal, you know, what did your mom tell you or not tell you about money? What did your dad tell you or not tell you about money? What did your community tell you about? What did your friends say? And we start looking at the picture of the environment that this particular person grew up in. And then we can start to see where, oh, there's a trigger there. I, I had a, I had a client. Uh, I did a workshop with this woman, and she told me that gender did not play a part in her money issues, and she was emphatic. It had nothing to do with it. And I said, okay, that's cool, but would you do me a favor? Do some journaling about this on your own time. And she came back the next week, and she said, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, what? What? She said, when I was little, my mom was a single parent, and my mom worked two jobs to make sure that she had food on the table for me. And I vowed that I would never be like my mom because she was so unfeminine because she worked so much. And I decided I would never know anything about money because that's a man's job. Oh, wow. And consequently, she kept sabotaging all her finance even when she was single because men are supposed to do that and she's not going to be a part of it. Once she realized that, she realized I've given over my power. Mm-hmm. And it really helped her to shift her perspective because she had said, I don't have to be responsible about money because women don't do that. 
Wow. And that was her story. That's not every woman's story, but that was her story. It's so amazing the the stuff that we have that manifests itself later on in life and you're kind of like, "Whoa, where did this come from? I don't even have a clue as to why." You know, but you know, everything everything has some tie-in along the way. It's just it's just um, uh entertaining, uh enlightening how it all kind of fits in there together, you know. So she's she's self-sabotaging herself because, you know, her mother was a single parent to to put food on the table and she said to herself, I'm not going to be like that, you know, and she's messing her old stuff up. Exactly. And it's, I remember as a child, my grandparents used to, my uh, maternal grandparents would just give us money when they would see us. Mm-hmm. They'd, we'd, they'd come out to visit and give us, here's 25 bucks for your piggy bank. We, we loved it. They could <laughs> give us all the money in the world and we thought it was great. Uh-huh. But there was a payoff. One day, my grandmother said, hey, your grandfather needs you to help him right now and i said okay i'm just finishing up this thing and she said i said right now we give Uh you money so you better jump when i tell you to jump Uh and i thought hmm i don't want any more money (laughs) yeah yeah uh you know (laughs) yeah i can see that yeah okay never mind this is not a good thing here okay not a good trade-off right and so even though it was a small little incident i never remember i never forget being up in my room and getting told i better get down there now wow I was paid for, and that that formed some opinions. <laughs> well, anger, well, a little, little, little anger, like okay, I, grandparents. I thought you know this was lollipops and unicorns and rainbows and all that stuff, but no, wait a minute, there's a real cost to this. There's, now, yeah. <laughs> before, let me ask you this before we go to commercial break. You know, you you've got this wonderful book out now, and all this knowledge. Were you always awesome and amazing at balancing your checkbook and keeping your funds in order? Absolutely not. Okay, good to know everybody. So, hey, he has his down days too as well. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today's edition of Don't Box Me In. I'm hanging out with uh, the author of the book, The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money, Mr. Robert Willer. And before the break, you were telling us this uh, story of your grandparents. And, you know, everybody loves when their grandparents come in and give them some money. But it kind of had a negative impact on you. Because one day, you know, grandma said, you know, do this for me because we give you money. There's a trade-off, and it's not a pleasant trade-off. Um, but, you know, so many times <clears throat> we find money kind of to be the underlying um thought process like what your grandparents took you through you know i give you this and you're supposed to do this for me um you know so sometimes the the implications the underlying effect of money is is kind of uh, unwritten unspoken that we're not even aware of uh, but the words of your grandparents that left a, a long impact on you how how is it that words kind of can can leave us impacted well, I'm a big believer in languaging because I do really think it sets us on our path. So if I'm always saying I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, then I'm going to keep reaffirming that story. If I tell myself – so a lot of times clients will come to me and say I'm broke, and I know that they just went to Paris. I know that they just <laughs> bought a second ski water ski boat, and it's it's a story. So I try to get people to change it more to the truth. So I'll ask people to say, instead of saying broke, when you hear yourself say that, would you change the languaging to, I'm choosing to do something different with my money other than budget, or I'm choosing to spend my money on things other than my living necessities, so that there's an element of truth to that. And I find when people start owning the truth as opposed to holding to the story, they'll let go of the story a lot quicker because it's more obvious. Okay. Now, have you ran into clients where they just, I refuse to own my truth, I'm not trying to look at it, I don't want to face these demons? Yeah, absolutely. And those people I usually don't do long-term work <laughs> with. <laughs> and and that's it's not a judgment. It's just that I know and my experience has shown that if people aren't, willing to go there, there's there's not there's no point to having a conversation. I actually had a client, uh, husband and wife, and we realized that we could amend their return and we could get them back an extra five thousand dollars. There was this this error. And so I said, this is great. We can take that five thousand dollars and we can put it into 
the college fund for your kids? And the wife said, no, that's going into my Gucci purse fund. Oh, like me, my shoes. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, I, and I said, but you were just telling me. And she said, I told you that's going into my Gucci fund and it's not going anywhere else. So then I started to say something else and the husband said, Bob, could you please drop this subject right now? Mm. And I realized this was a this was a, a a touchy, sticky subject for these two folks, and mm-hmm. and I let it go, and I never brought it up again. And I was talking with their financial advisor later, and he said, "Oh yeah, she is not going to discuss anything that impedes on her desire to have fun with her money, even mm-hmm. if it means sabotaging things for the future." So she would rather dig a hole so deep, potentially living on the street. I mean, if that's extreme, you know, but living on streets. But I'm going to have my Gucci purse. Right. And I don't care if my kids have an education because I'm getting my purse. And it it was, I mean, it was so set in stone. You could see the look on her face that she would have pulled out a knife and stabbed me. (laughs) Give me my Gucci. Give me my Gucci. (laughs) So, um, you know. And, and, you know, that's her choice. So I don't – the, the one thing I really encourage people to do is if you want to spend your money and blow it on lottery tickets or you want to spend $1,000 on a pair of shoes, do it. Just do it consciously and then don't play the victim later when you don't have money for the rent, when mm-hmm. you don't have the money to take that trip to Paris. Okay. And you have to look at yourself and say, oh, that's okay. I chose that and I, and I did it consciously. Is there any difference for you in um, a client who wants you to help them establish a budget whose income is maybe 30000 versus somebody who's walking in and their income is 300000 Is the sitting down process to establishing a budget the same for both? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's interesting because whether you're working with $100,000 or $10,000, it's it's still the same process, and I have a couple clients that live on fifty thousand dollars a year. And we she I have this one client. She comes in twice a year, and we go through the budget, and we tweak certain little things, and we know how much her retirement's going to be, and we've figured out whether she should elect early retirement from the school system, and when should she get her social security when she worked in the private sector. So we we tweak it, and she stays so. On top of that budget, and she puts a little bit away, and she saves, and she, you know, she's not living an extravagant lifestyle, but she's taking care of herself, and she's got to be 74 years old, and I just love her because she comes in and she's like, I have my new numbers, can we talk? <laughs> and you know, and for her, she's making a million dollars a year. You know, she has a good life, she travels, she budgets, but she does it. She doesn't have to go first class, and she doesn't have to. Like have all the gimmicks. She she does what feeds her, feeds her soul, but she does it practically because she knows she's on a limited budget. Okay. Okay. So what about the person with the three hundred thousand dollar a year income, where they have more quote unquote disposable income? You would you know. But what I have found that with the more money you make, the more real life expenses that come along with that. But you know. Well, you know, it's the same conversation because it's funny. I have a client who makes a, a nice living, makes about $500,000 a year, mm-hmm. and they were telling me, you know, I need to have $5 million in my retirement account within the next 10 years. And I just don't know if it's possible because I don't have anywhere that there's a place to save. And I said, well, you know, you spend $100,000 a year on clothes. <laughs> And if Those you, are necessities. Those are necessities. What are you talking about? That's what he said. And I said, you know, if you could cut your clothes spending to $50,000 a year, you'd have $50,000 a year that you could put away for the next 10 years. He's like, wow, you want me to cut my spending? And I said, Not well, you don't have to, <laughs> you know? Um, now, he was very proud of himself because his spending on clothes had been 120000 the year before. So he felt like he had made some progress. Oh. And I guess he did. But once I was able to say, well, do you want this retirement money or do you want to have a whole bunch of clothes that you spend $1,000 on per item? And uh, what's more important to you? Once he was able to look at both of those, it did motivate him to say, okay, I could probably cut back 5000 a month on my clothing. Okay. Now and, that's and, hard. 
Yeah. Go ahead. No, and so I mean, so that so once he could sort of see the options and he could understand the impact, it was easier for him to make that transition because he was really bent on I want this retirement money. And then once I showed him where there was this stumbling block, he was able to say, okay, you know what? I think I actually like the money in the retirement more than I like the hundred thousand dollars worth of clothes. Clothes, yes, yes. So you know we've you know sat here and kind of analyzed the two different income levels, mm-hmm. and you know I I guess my thought process in the beginning was you know you assume that one is is more living a more abundant lifestyle right. than the other, but you know it seems to me that what you're saying is it doesn't really matter what the income level is. Everybody can have an abundant life. What what is the the definition of uh, or what makes a person have an abundant life? Well, and that's the question that I ask people when I have workshops. What makes you rich? Is it I have an amazing relationship with my children? Is it I have an amazing relationship with my partner, my spouse? Is it abundant because I get to travel the world and experience other cultures? Uh, does it mean I have money in the bank so that if something comes up and I want to be able to do it, I'm able to do it? It's at my disposal. It's really about a mindset of, in my opinion, it's really about a mindset of gratitude and appreciation and actually taking a moment to actually see all the, all the things that we do have in our lives. So many people will tell me, oh, I don't have anything. And I'll say, let's take a personal inventory. What, what do you have? Oh, well, I've got a great relationship with my kids. Oh, I've got money in my 401k. Oh, I have paid off my car. I, I'm able to travel. And, and we discount a lot of that stuff and go, no, no, I need more. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for that big moment. And we're living in that big moment. We just keep missing it. We don't mm-hmm. take time to actually see, oh my gosh, like you said earlier, hey, I woke up today and I'm alive. That's right. Like, that's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> and you know, you just, you know, you appreciate that. And from that, so many other things start to flow, you know, but once you get caught up in the rigmarole of, you know, Mr. Jones has a BMW, I need to get a BMW, so-and-so has, you know, this uh, kid they're sending to private school, you know, and they're overextending themselves financially, so I must do this. You know, you start to kind of sink yourself in this, but if you enjoy the the things that really matter is what I right. call them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, life just has so much more beauty to them, you know. And uh, unfortunately, one of the things that I've always took up issue with the world today, you know, there's so many images coming in, so much input of, you know, buy, 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 you need, you need, you need, you know. Our kids are, you know, walking around having to have these these PlayStations, these gaming systems. And, you know, I remember when I was little, you know, Christmas, you got a $20 doll and, you know, it was like the best thing in the world. But, right. you know <laughs> – you know, it just seems like the world today is so built on money that, you know, it's just kind of hard to get a mental handle on it and start to, to process it healthily, you know, um, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. I think social media, the media advertising does such a disservice to us because it makes us believe that everybody is driving around in a new Mercedes mm-hmm. or a new car. And the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people that are living within their means. There are a lot of people that are saving and actually setting goals and doing the things they want, and they're not buying into all of this media. But it's very difficult because we get bombarded, bombarded. I mean everybody these days thinks they have to have a $6 cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Two or three times a day. I know. Right? <laughs> yes. <Okay>. I know. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I did that for, you know, about six months and then they got me. I started adding it because one of the things, you know, I, I look at my uh, bank statement. So I'm like looking at my expenses. I'm like, wait a minute here. I can go to the grocery store and buy a whole thing for like $5 and make how many cups? And you guys are trying. So I learned that lesson real quick. I will say that. I, my shoes are going to have a problem with me. But <laughs> the coffee hey. you got me on, I'm on the same page. Yeah. No, well, you know, that's the thing though. We all get to, we, we all should have our little compulsions and uh-huh. enjoy them. Uh-huh. Uh, and just also find that balance of responsibility and, and, and counter our ego that says, I must have everything now. Mm-hmm. That's what the media tells me. So it's, it's finding a balance, a healthy balance and, and, and then really appreciating what you've got. True, true. We're going to take our last commercial break of the day, and when we come back, I want to talk about uh, this other thing you've uh, 
got going on in your life, a little comedy thing. So I want to talk to people about that. So stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today I've been enjoying my time with Mr. Robert Wheeler. He is the author of the book, The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money. And uh, before the break, I, I wanted to mention, I was on your website, you know, as I like to do, get prepared for my guests, and I read that you kind of dabbled in um, stand-up comedy. Now, my experience on accountants is, you know, you guys tend to be very dry, very blah, very, you know, like, okay. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting combination. How do you find that comedy works with your accounting business? Well, I'm one of those left brain, right brain people. So <laughs> I can't just be in finances and I can't just be in the creative world. But they both feed me. And I, I love comedy and the thing that I find is I'm able to use humor to get to my clients and actually have breakthroughs because I can tell them a funny story, and as I'm telling it, they'll look at me and say, oh, you're talking about me. <laughs> say, oh. Oh, you know, and so I find it's a way to disarm people and really, you know, have a good laugh because if we take ourselves too serious, it's just life's not fun, and I think – Life is short, and we're here to have pleasure, and we're here to find our purpose and 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 live that out. And so for me, using comedy, I, I enjoy watching people laugh. I enjoy watching people letting go, and I like people – you know, getting conscious and making choices that serve them in their overall life. Awesome. I like that. Now, we all can't get to uh, Robert Wheeler's office, you know, although listening to you, a lot of us probably would enjoy spending time with you and having you uh, help us out with our finances. But um, what what should we look for when we're looking for an accountant? What are some things that somebody should be looking for? Well, I think the first thing is really important to make sure you have somebody that you can actually talk with. Mm-hmm. Because I have had so many clients come to me and say, you know, Bob, the information you've given me in the first hour that we've met is more information that I've received over the last 10 years from my prior accountant. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't get on the phone with me. They wouldn't talk to me. Or if I asked them a question, they would say, wow, that's really stupid or just do what I say. Hmm. And I do admit that there are a lot (laughs) of accountants that are not comfortable with conversation. They just want to do the numbers and – I was that way in the beginning. I really just wanted to go in a, an office and just work with the numbers and not actually have to talk to people. <laughs> and, and then I just had to force myself to get more comfortable. But I think it's really important that you be able to communicate with your accountant. The other thing is uh, making sure that they have the qualifications. I'm amazed at some of the tax returns that I see that were prepared by people that were supposedly professionals. They didn't ask questions. They made up crazy numbers. Uh, they misspelled their name on the mm. tax return. All of those little details. Accounting is a very detailed type of industry, and it's really important that we're getting the right numbers. So you want somebody that pays attention to detail. You know, if 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 you feel like there's a lot of sloppiness, I, I think that's a red flag. Okay. Okay. So uh, we need to make sure um, they're asking. Like when I sit down, you know, me being the small business owner and then I have my – should they be asking certain questions right from the jump or – Yeah, I think – so when I sit down with a new client, I'll say, why don't you tell me your story and and then tell me what led you to look for a change. And they'll usually say, well, I couldn't talk to my accountant or I don't know if they really understood my industry. And so then I'll ask them, well, how long have you been in your industry and what's your level of – of experience or comfort with dealing with the tax stuff. Do in your business, do you actually do the books? Do you pay somebody else? Where do you fit? I have a lot of clients that'll say, I don't like to deal with any of that stuff. I like other people to deal with it, but I want to be able to at least have the big picture conversations. And so I get a sense of what's their comfort level? How can I help them? What do they want? Do they want a lot of hand holding? Do they want me to just give them the numbers? Do they want to meet a couple times a year so we can do some strategizing and looking at some tax planning options? So I actually try to get a sense of what are they hoping to get from me? Mm-hmm. And then I can tell them that yes, I can deliver. I'm not sure I can deliver 
or let's explore it further so that we're both in this conversation. I actually tell people when I first meet them that it's an interview for both of us, and they'll say, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I say, well, you may like me, but I may not like you, and if I don't like you, I'm not going to pick up the phone and call you. If you don't like me, you're not going to pick up the phone and communicate with me. This is an important relationship, and I need to know that we're actually both on the same team, and so – I'm trying to make sure that it works for me as well as it works for you. Awesome. So let's go back to the client that you talked about earlier in the day where you had, you know, helped him get his budget together. You saw that he had a line of credit on his house. Um, you know, and you found out down the line, you know, that he screwed that up. So let's say he's back in the office a year later, you know, uh, Bob, I just, I just totally messed up the whole thing. You got to help me out. You got to help me out. Um, what, what kind of commitment are you, you seeking from the repeat offender? Well, depending on how how committed they are. So some clients will say, you know what, I really want to get this on track. Would you help me do that? And that might be that I'll say, okay, I need you to each week just pop me an email and tell me what you did okay. this week with your money, right, so that I hold them accountable. Okay. And a lot of clients like that because at least even if we don't – it's not for me to tell them you did bad. It's not for me to tell them, oh, good, good, good. It's just <laughs> for them – to know that somebody's actually monitoring them and that they're not in it alone. And I find that when we have support in whatever it is, but for me it's money, so if we have support, it makes it a lot easier to to, to start to walk the talk of what we want in our lives. And so I, I really find it important to – for the listeners out there, if they don't feel like they have the support, ask your friend, ask your spouse, um, and ask, you know, will you support me? Uh, you know, I have a lot of couples that will say, well, my husband or my wife always spends and I try to do everything. And I'll say, well, what do you do? how do you have a conversation with them? Well, I tell them, you know, you overspent. Um, <laughs> and they blame. So I, I say, well, why don't you change the conversation? Why don't you go to your spouse and say, hey, honey, I really want to do things differently. I have been not doing things consciously, and I was wondering if you would support me in changing my financial lifestyle. It makes the spouse much more engaged and wanting to help because they're not being blamed. They're being asked to assist, and along the way, they might actually make some changes themselves. Awesome. Nobody likes the finger pointing at them, so you know. Awesome. I like that. Now, you have a, a radio show yourself, The Money Nerve. Um, how often do you have that, and how do people connect with that? That radio show is um, once a month. It's the fourth Sunday of every month, and that is um, on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. And on the AM station, it's 1510 out of Boston, okay. WMEX. And um, a, a lot of information about my workshops, the radio show, my blogs, and one-on-one sessions is all at themoneynerve.com. And so people can check check me out there and see if I'm in their town doing a workshop or, you know, when they can catch me on the next radio show or speaking engagement. Oh, okay. So you mentioned your workshops. Um, so you have uh, – what do your workshops cover for people? So I have a couple of different workshops that I do. I have one workshop called Proactive Abundance, and that's a – eight-week to ten-week workshop series where we talk about emotional stuff and then we get into practical stuff. We work on budgets. We actually sit down and I work with people on their budgets. They bring in the numbers and we do practical and emotional. Then I do one- and two-day workshops called Money at Its Core and that's where we really just spend a lot of time tracing back our emotional stories about money and then looking to see where we can start to make shifts and come into new beliefs around money and about self-worth. Okay. Now, I think I read that you do, you do some workshops uh, geared towards women as well, or did I misread that? Um, I, you know, I have been doing – I not specifically toward women, although I do work with a lot of women because, I mean, <laughs> women are a lot more open <laughs> to talking about their money than men are. When I do workshops with the men, they're all in competition with each other. Ah, and I have to really work to get them to feel safe to not be in competition. Whereas women will just be straightforward. Oh my gosh, there's what I did. <laughs> How did and, you know? How did you know? <laughs> yeah. 
So it's just – and I think the other thing is the reason I like working with women, I, I have four sisters, and I saw the impact of how much gender plays a role in how we deal with money and how things work in this society. And it, it's it's just really interesting where, you know, the whole thing about, you know, men get paid a dollar, women get 70 cents. Uh, there's a lot of disparity, and I do find that women over centuries have been told that wait for your prince to come in, wait for somebody else to do things for you. And I think women are really wanting to step into their own power and have been stepping into their own power. And so I find that exciting because I find – more often than not, women are more willing to be engaged and willing to explore and and make the shifts. Well, well team ladies, team ladies. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so will we find you doing some stand-up comedy somewhere as well or no? You can, Yeah, absolutely. I'm at the Comedy Store. I'm a paid regular at the Comedy Store. Oh, and, awesome. Yeah. And uh, so I used to tour a bit more, and now I tend to stay in L.A. unless I'm out doing workshops. Um, and I get to incorporate some of my comedy into the workshops. But you can definitely catch me at the Comedy Store. That's in L.A. and San Diego and uh, other various venues around the that Los Angeles. That just tickles you know. me. A, co- a comedian accountant. I did, did just <laughs> tickles well, Bob, New- Bob Newhart was a CPA. <laughs> Bob Newhart was a CPA. You know, and he has that kind of his style is kind of that dry kind of yeah. – up on those, so I could see that, but you know, it's just just so funny to me. So, where do people pick up the book? <laughs> so, the book, the book, you can get at Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble. It's also available at TheMoneyNerve.com, and a lot of other bookstores that have online sales also have that book. Good stuff, good stuff. That is it. We are at the end of our hour here. I've so enjoyed myself. My guest today has been Mr. Robert Wheeler. Wheeler. Please check out his website, themoneynerve.com, and pick up a copy of his book, Robert. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with me today. I had a great time, Lana. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. That's all for this week's show. I'll be uh, back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week.